Welcome to another Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, Bubba, we are now, uh, we're over 100 episodes now, and we've talked about so many topics. Today, we're going to talk to, uh, you know, one of our brethren uh, in the industry, 25 years uh, at ESPN, Brad Edwards, is going to be our guest. Now, he's written a new book. We're going to jump into one, another one of our favorite topics is, what makes Nick Saban Nick Saban and all the success Alabama's had. He's he's taking this. He's going to talk to us about it by the numbers and all that. But but we're going to talk about that and you know the things that happen within this line of work. Yeah, Brad. Since you have been a professional broadcaster, you'll be very foreign to what we're doing yeah, here because yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other feel to it. But you know, we we were just talking today, and we've always said this: people who are the best at what they do. I love studying them. It goes beyond who you cheer for. It goes beyond what tribe you belong to, politics, all that. People who are successful, I like looking at them and saying, what are they doing? What makes them work that, that way? And then we try to emulate that on some level or learn something from it. And, uh, boy, you've covered one in this book that has oh. statistically, for the time he's living in, unbelievable. Nick Saban obviously has uh, has done some things that you're not supposed to be able to do in college football. You know, the sport has a lot of rules that were established over the last few decades that were intended to create parity. Everything was meant to keep something like what Alabama's done for the last 14 years from happening, and yet he's managed to do it. And and along the way, they've changed other rules to combat some of the things that he's been successful with, um, some things related to recruiting. You know, you remember when offenses started to spread out and especially go up tempo, he was frustrated by it. He said, is this what we want football to be? And everyone pretty much said, yeah, this is entertaining. This is what we want it to be. And so he said, okay, I'll beat you that way. And so he's adjusted along the way, and it really is amazing with all the the different hurdles that have been thrown in front of him for him not to have had one bad season. Like – Look at, at Clemson, what Dabo built. It, it's, it's incredible what he did at Clemson. And you have this year, and, and, and maybe it's just a one-year blip on the, on the radar, but he's taken a, a, a pretty significant step back. You know, he lost some, some just generational talents with, with Lawrence and ETN and hasn't been able to replace them. And this is what is supposed to happen eventually. You know, after a certain number of years, you're going to hit that pocket where you've just got a group of guys that just – they can't make up for the guys that you lost the year before. And the fact that that hasn't happened to Alabama since he got there, it, it really is unbelievable. You, you know, nature screams sine wave. Everything is up and down. It yeah, goes oh, in yeah. the cycle. Oh, yeah. Nick Saban has beat that somehow. <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's just amazing. Now, you're probably old enough. I am. I saw Bear Bryant coach. I was, you know – old enough to watch those games and understand what was going on. And while he did a wonderful job, uh, as I'm talking to younger people now, I said, what Nick Saban's done is really, and I, I don't want to speak negative of the bear, but this is so much more impressive in the time he's doing it and the way he's had to do it with the restrictions he's had to do. Yeah, I, I think I think when you look at uh, some of the ways that things have changed, now, and once again, I mean, what Bear did was amazing. And, and really, if not for a stretch in the late 60s and 1970 where they, they had, I want to say it was three seasons, that they were kind of above average. Right. If not for that, he would have had two straight decades of dominance and – you know, everything might be looked at a little bit differently. I mean, even still, I think most people considered him 
the greatest coach in college football until Saban came along right. and, and did all this stuff. But the, the era in which he did it, you know, th- there were a few things that were different. Obviously, there was no playoff. There was no BCS. And, and so, and this is not his fault. He certainly wasn't dodging competition. But he didn't have to close the season by playing the best possible opponent. The best of and, the best. And, yeah. and it, it, it yeah. wasn't just him. Anyone who coached in that era, you know, you had these bowl tie-ins with your conference. And if you're the SEC champion, you went to the Sugar Bowl. And some years, that might mean you're ranked number one, and the best opponent they can get for you is number seven. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was. And, yeah. and you know, there were, there were times that, um, that, you know, many teams – didn't have to face as great of a challenge as they might have in their bowl game in order to cap off a national title. And and everyone just accepted it um, because that was college football back then. Of course, Saban, you know, now now you have a conference championship game, mm-hmm. which sometimes is another top five team. Uh, a lot of times another top ten team. And usually and, one of the best teams you're going to see in those yeah, and look, two they're, games. Yeah, there are a lot of times that the SEC championship game opponent is better than what you'll face yeah. in a semifinal. Uh, but then you've got a, a, you know, in theory, a top four team in a semifinal, and now a championship game. And so Saban's just had to navigate through a lot more top five opponents. And if you if you really look at it, his record against top five teams, and I, I show his record in the book. I don't show Bryant's because I, I'm not setting out to disparage Bryant. Right, but right. his record against the top five, his winning percentage was significantly lower than what Saban's is. And so Saban's Saban's numbers, his performance in those big games, especially when you get to the postseason, Mm -hmm. has been incredible. The other thing is the SEC. Now, Bryant did something that Saban has not done, which is in the 70s, from 1971 when he switched to the wishbone through 1979, Bryant went 58-3 and in the SEC. (laughs) That is Now, I was a kid. I was growing up in Mississippi as a Mississippi State fan in the 70s. And I I can't say that I hated Alabama, but I was sick of them. I wanted somebody to beat them because you're watching that over and over. It's like, please, anybody, just take their place. And and so Saban hasn't had that type of a run. But you also have to recognize the SEC right now is much better than it was in the 60s and 70s. Much more depth. I mean, uh, mean, you go back to, you know, LSU – winning the national title in 2007, Saban's first year at Alabama. Obviously, Auburn won in 2010. You know, LSU won again in 2019. Um, am I missing somebody? Uh, Georgia Georgia appears T- to be the odds-on favorite right now. Say Tennessee won in the, B- yeah, in first the BCS, BCS year. Yeah, right. You know, Flo- I'm sorry, Florida. I forgot. Florida, Florida, Florida won in 2008, yeah. but, but it, the second year Saban was at Alabama. And so it's you've got all these teams that you've got to contend with that recruit at a really high level, and and so it's just it's just different from what Bryant navigated. The name of the book is called Dynasty by the Numbers. Brad Edwards is here with us. He you spent uh, twenty five years uh, with ESPN. Yeah, yep. I did. It's, and, it's incredible to think about. Yeah, and 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 we'll jump more into the book, but I kind of wanted to talk a little background because you were telling us before we started today, you actually lived a period of time in Alabama because of one of the many spring professional leagues <laughs> That's right. that, yeah. this, that, that Birmingham, Alabama has tried. This was the Birmingham Barracudas, and you came to work for the Barracudas. Is that right? I did, 1995. So while I was in college at Alabama, I, I, I took off and, and did a couple of internships, and one of them was with the Indianapolis Colts. And I came away from that thinking, like, I really want to work in PR in the NFL. Like, right. that's a dream job. <laughs> and as soon as I graduated – 
I applied for some jobs, and there's no way someone right out of college with no experience was going to get one of those jobs, right. but but I, I wasn't to be deterred. I wanted to continue to pursue that, and uh, after the graduation, I, I stayed one more year with Alabama football, and I did an internship doing PR for the team, and uh, I, I still couldn't get an NFL job, so I said, okay, I, I'll at least get into quote, professional football. Right. And so so I, I took a job as assistant PR director for the Birmingham Barracudas. 1995 was the only season. Some people probably remember it. And Which league was that? That was the Canadian Football that's League, right. the yeah. CFL. Yeah. That's right, yeah. because yeah, there were, uh, I want to say, like eight teams in the United States. Yeah, um, yeah. It was, it was an experiment that failed, but it was fun while it lasted, you know. And, and so uh, the, the CFL team folded at the end of, of – the the only season and and that was kind of like late October early November and uh, I ended up waiting tables at at Chili's in Homewood on Lakeshore Drive <laughs> yeah, yeah just kind of many times yeah, yeah. And, yeah and so uh, so <laughs> that was what I was doing when uh, when I I got a call from from ESPN asking me if I wanted to come there and work on college football now the reason I got the call is because while I was at Alabama. Uh, doing that PR work, I, I generated the the game notes for the team on a weekly basis, and the, the media. A lot of people don't know what I'm talking about, but the media use these notes to, to help them prepare for games, and especially the ones that don't cover the team every week. Right. And so when ESPN would do the games, they would go through those notes, and the guy told me he said, "I love your notes." He said they're a lot more useful than the notes that we get from most other schools that that we do games of, and so uh, we kind of you know, talked a lot every time that, that we would have a, a, a game with them and, and he just kind of picked my brain. And it turned out that uh, the, the Barracudas had a game the week before college football began in 1995 and it was scheduled against Doug Flutie's team. Mm-hmm. Now, Flutie was injured, ended up not playing in the game, but ESPN had already decided to televise it and they put this same crew, their primetime crew, on that game. Thinking be good, good warm up, get the kinks out, you know, before we start college football next week. And so I reconnected with those guys in '95 through that, and I had actually applied for a job uh, out at Stanford in in PR, and I had just asked this guy if he would be a reference for me for that job, um, and and he said sure, and uh, I I said you know well the the application deadline's still about a month and a half away. Do you mind if I call you closer to the date so they don't forget about me? He said no problem. And so it was during that month and a half before I called him back that he he called and you know younger people in the audience won't know what I'm talking about but I I come in from waiting tables and my answering machine the answering machine the, the old answering machine yeah. the, the the light is flashing and I go over there and I press play and he's like just came out of a meeting and we decided to create a position with college football at ESPN that I think you would be perfect for and I, I want to see if you you know if you'd like to take the job. And you know, of course, I, mean, did you I, had, hear, I had to weigh that against a career yeah. at Chili's. <laughs> yeah. Did and, you hear uh, angels did, singing? Because yeah. I mean, if you're a sports person, <laughs> going to ESPN yeah. was the promised land. And and my mom, I didn't remember this, but, but when I was in high school and I was applying for scholarships, you know, you, you, there are a number of of we don't know anything about that. Bro. <laughs> yeah. and, no. and so a lot of them ask you to write an essay, you know, about right. you know what you want to study or what you want to do and all that stuff, and. I didn't remember it, but my mom had told me that one of the essays that I wrote, uh, I mentioned that I wanted to work at ESPN when I got out of college. And uh, we were actually many years later just clearing out some old stuff when my mom was moving, and she found the letter. 
How about that? She found a copy of it, and and I was like, wow. I mean, I, I when I was in high school, I wrote that I my my goal was to work at ESPN, and and I ended up there, which I mean that that's a blessing for that to happen to anybody. It really is. Brad Edwards, our guest, will come back. I want to delve a little bit into your world of ESPN, then we'll get back to the book uh, as we really almost take kind of a money ball look at, at Saban and why he has been so so dominant. And we'll talk more with Brad Edwards when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so Bubba, let's just call it you and I as a, as a small business uh, trying to get in the world of how to use all this streaming and social media and you want to market and you want to – you want to say, I want to put some ads out there. Where do the ads go? Uh, how do I design the ads? Uh, a lot of more time- questions than answers, my friend. Yeah, well, that's why we need Marpop. Uh, look, now this is a this is a, a a testing platform for Facebook and and ad creative that lets us, you know, do the creative testing better. Uh, like for you and I, if we wanted to look at an ad that you and I were going to put out about the Rick and Bubba show, hey, you should listen to us, or hey, Rick and Bubba University. Hey, right here. Listen right here. We might get with Helms, and we might put together one image and go, well, that looks pretty good. Let's go with it. Yeah, but with Marpop, we could see like uh, about – You tw- name again? Marpop. Marpop. M-A-R-P-I-P-E. And what we could do with their help is look at about 25 different options and go, now this one – And actually find out which one – people enjoy that better. is correct isn't that magical and and how about this and also they'll give you the ad performance in 30 days and you know what the that's the average for them when they when they go to work the average is doubling what you got without them uh th- this is not some shady offer that you find in, in a spam folder marpop is i mean they 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 are a high-tech platform and uh, they are remaking the digital creative industry uh, and here's the thing that I love about it. It is it is simple. You just upload the assets, and Marpot will create hundreds of ad variants and seamlessly launch them with one click. So then we send out, boom, a bunch of different looks, and then they come back in 30 days and say, here's how it went. Look, if you're spending over $25,000 a month on Facebook advertising, you need Marpot today. Uh, so book a free demo because if you're like me, okay, can they talk to me first? Yes. Book a free demo at Marpipe, that's M-A-R-P-I-P-E dot com slash Bubba right now and get a free $2,000 credit, but that's only going to last to the end of December on the 31st. Sign up for your free demo and get a free $2,000 credit at Marpipe.com slash Bubba now through the end of the year. Marpipe.com slash Bubba. Back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Brad Edwards is our guest. He has written the book Dynasty by the Numbers. Uh, and it's written about Alabama football over the last dozen years, uh, but it really focuses on the dominance of, of Saban through all this data that you can visualize and kind of see what's going on. But but when we're going to jump a little more in that. Now, you need to read the book because there's no way we could cover all the stuff that you came up with in this book. Yeah, I've been told, by the way, it's not a book you read. It's a book you study. You study, yeah. And you can see how it all really yeah. works by the numbers. But you, when you were at ESPN for 25 years – we were kind of talking about the business and how things work uh, and the things that, that only people in the business care about, but the, the viewers and the listeners <laughs> right, could, yeah. couldn't care less they, about. They don't lament over it yeah. like the broadcasters. And you, you were telling us like some of the lamenting over, do we look at the person we're talking to? Do we look at the <laughs> camera? And, and you said you were, there were some stories about some of the things that were discussed. Yeah, just the idea that, that we sit here and fret over things that – Look, when we were in our first year in the business, I mean, everything is fun. Just the opportunity to, to right. be on air, 
talk about whatever you want to. Um, it, it's it, it's all exciting, and at a certain point, you kind of lose that, and it becomes a job. And and you try not to take it for granted, but you, you fall into that trap. And one year, I was working the NFL draft uh, in New York City with Chris Fowler. And when I first started ESPN, I was totally behind the scenes. I was a researcher providing information, and, and Fowler was one of the people I worked with a lot. And, and so we're sitting there at the NFL draft, and uh, we were working on the interviews with the players after they would get drafted. So, you know, you, they get their name called, go up, have the picture made with the commissioner. Put the hat on, yep, on all that. Whatever it is. And they eventually make it over to this side set mm-hmm. where they're going to sit down with Chris Fowler and he'll ask him a few questions. Obviously, he, he knows most of those guys from their college days. And, and then we move on with the show. Well, it's just so happened this one year that the guys who were in attendance, now they, didn't, they didn't invite as many back then as they do now. Seems like they invite most of the guys who could possibly get drafted in the first round these days. Uh, but, but there might have been 10 people invited. And I think all 10 of them went in the first 15 picks. And this is back when day one was not just the first round. It was the first three rounds. Oh, boy. So we're, we're out of material. I mean, They're all gone. You know, they're all gone. So, so we're 15 picks into three rounds, and we have nothing left to do. And so someone in the truck recognized that we got Chris Fowler sitting over there and, and it, he doesn't have anything to do. Let's, let's start finding stuff. So, so, I mean, and this is, this is Chris Fowler. Right, okay. Right. They've got him going out into the crowd. This is at Madison square garden. He's going out there. You know, the crazies that line up oh, yeah. and, you know, oh, yeah. and, and people wearing costumes. Like this is a woman wearing like a statue of Liberty costume. And they've got him out there interviewing her right. And because they just they wanted to use him, right. they paid him. They wanted to use him, and and he's just kind of rolling his eyes and just he comes over to me. He he puts his hand over his 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 mic that's on there just to make sure that it's not picked <laughs> up. And he says he says, "I know that I have a great job, and that the worst day at my job is 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 better than the best day at a lot of people's jobs." Right, but. This is that day. <laughs> <laughs> it is happening right now. And he gets asked to do a lot of things. I mean, you'll see him doing college football, and then he'll mysteriously appear at the final of the French Open or somewhere covering tennis. And oh, then he back, loves the back, tennis. Yeah. And then back in America, like, the next day, I'm like, how does he do that? When does he sleep? And, and, and there are a lot of people that I worked with at ESPN that will do, like, um, you know, you'll have some that are working on NBA, and then the next day they're at a college football game. Right. And that, that one thing for me is, like, I, I, I did work on more than one sport, but never in the same season. Right. You know, I, I would do college football from start to finish, and then – after college football, I might move on to college basketball or the NFL draft or the College World Series, but I was never juggling them simultaneously. Right. And that was I don't I don't know how people do that and just keep it all straight. Yeah, I don't either. So so tell us what how the opportunity presented itself for you to sit down and do this kind of research. And to write the book, Dynasty by the Numbers. Well, unfortunately, the opportunity presented itself because I lost my job at the end of last so year. So what, what yeah. happened there? So ESPN, I, look, I, I, I don't think it's any secret that with COVID, yeah. uh, you know, there, there was a long stretch where there were no sports going on in 2020. Oh, yeah. And then even when they started back, ratings were down. And, of course, in college football, you remember last year, there were games that were being canceled. Oh, yeah. Like day of. Right, right. And so, you know, they ended up with all sorts of, of – 
issues related to advertising and and you know, they just they weren't generating the money that they were used yeah, to you know, generating. We, we and, all got hit. Yeah, right? exactly. Every everybody was affected by that. And then of course the parent company Disney is is getting hit even worse because they've got their parks closed. Mm-hmm. You know, all of their cruise ships are docked. You know, the people at theaters aren't open. They're not able to put out new movies. And so the cash cows running exactly. the Exactly. So, so yeah. Disney Disney yeah. couldn't bail out ESPN. It just got to a point where they had to eliminate some jobs. And, and Disney eliminated thousands of jobs. ESPN eliminated hundreds. And and mine was one of them. And and it it didn't catch me by surprise. You know, the, the type of stuff that I did, uh, I always knew was a luxury, not a necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, having good information differentiates a, a network from others. But at the end of the day, people who watch the games are not watching it because of the information. They're watching it because they want to see those teams play. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, I, I lost my job. And uh, fortunately, um, it, the, the, the money that uh, they had to give me as, as part of the separation agreement uh, allowed me to, you know, have some cushion for 2021. And, and so I said, you know what, before I get into whatever I'm going to do next in, in my life, I want to write this book because it had been in my head for a few years. And, and I'd spent so much time at ESPN telling stories with numbers that I, I knew there was a lot of good stuff on Alabama football. And I, I knew there was more if, if I had the time to look for it. And, and so that's what I did. I took about two months and I, I went ahead and knocked out the stuff that I knew was there and kind of fine tuned it and then started looking up some new stuff. And uh, it was just, I mean, some of the things that, that I discovered, I finished the research and then I thought to myself, there's no way that can be right. Like this just, that's <laughs> right. too incredible. Right. And so I went back and I double checked it and it's, like, it's right. And then right before the book went to print, I thought, you know what? No one else is going to believe this either. So they're going to check it. I need to check it a third time just to make yeah, sure right. because someone's going to call me on it. Or oh, check yeah, you me don't want it. that yeah. person in the interview going, well, let me tell you about Brad Edwards' book. I did some research. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so um, so that, that whole thing afforded me the opportunity to do this. And I self-published the book. And if you're going to self-publish, you better be willing to self-promote. That's correct. Because you're sinking your money into to printing these books and now you got to sink your time into selling them or the whole thing was a waste. And so I've spent the, the second half of this year, you know, actively promoting and, and appearing to, uh, to make book sales. And it's, it's been a lot of fun because it's just so different than anything I'd ever done before. I've never done anything really in the business world, so to speak. And, uh, and so it's been a great experience. So has uh, Coach Saban uh, reached out to you? Is he aware of what's going on here? I, I don't know if he's aware of the book in its entirety. Uh, I, I do know that um, there's a lot of stuff in there about Alabama's domination of the NFL draft and players in the NFL, and people in the football program have the book. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. And I feel very confident that some of them would – not give Saban the book, because there are two things we know about him. Oh, yes. One, he's not going to sit down and read any book in the middle of football season. No, no. no Another no. thing he's not going to do is revel in his own accomplishments. You know, he, when he was asked last year after winning the national championship, I guess it was technically earlier this year, you know, passing Bear Bryant, whatever, what does that mean to you? He's like, I, I don't know. You know, when I, when I retire, maybe I'll think about that stuff. And, you know, for <laughs> now, I'm just thinking about the next recruiting class, the next season yeah. and all that. And I, I, I Everything I've observed of him, I, I think that's true. I, <laughs> I think that's how he operates. So 
Um, I, I don't think he'd be interested in reading it, but I do know that he's interested in anything that's going to help him win football games, and mm-hmm. that includes recruiting. And and so I would imagine he's probably seen some of the content in the book. All right, we'll come back. Let's, Brad Edwards, let's jump into some of the things that are in the book or question. I know, Bubba, you got a question uh, to ask because this is very fascinating to think about what what you did find taking the time to unpack it because all of us watching, we think something pretty incredible is going on here. And you have gone out and researched it, and you can probably confirm that what we think is going on is pretty incredible. It, it sure is. Uh, we'll come back more with Brad Edwards when Rick and Bubba University. The podcast continues. Bubba, the the earbuds from Raycon, they've been a huge hit. Some people are listening to this podcast right now on Raycon earbuds. And, and you remember when they first came to us and wanted to do this relationship. You know, like a lot of people, we think, well, hasn't the earbud thing kind of been done? The people that put the cyborg things hanging out of your ears, and they probably have, have done it. Can you really have this price and that kind of quality? And the answer is yes, and the answer is yes. Um, uh, these earbuds have been beloved. We just had Helmsley from the show this week accidentally leave his in his pocket. They've been washed in uh, in the washer. They're out, they're dried, and they're working again. Came back to life. We, we've had yeah. several emails about this, I, I, and people dropping them from – uh, you know, multiple stories up and they still work. And Rick, I, I mean, I've been impressed. I, I knew when the price was a little bit less than some of the other brands, I thought, well, I'm going to sacrifice quality, but that just hasn't been the case. Well, and then we're getting you more savings by you going to buyraycon.com slash Rick and Rick Bubba pod, put all that together. Rick Bubba pod just like earbuds, but Rick Bubba pod. Uh, and you'll unlock an exclusive deal. We're going to get you an additional 20% off. Now they're already about half, what the other earbuds are trying to charge you, and they don't hang out of your ear. They fit comfortably. Uh, they've, they've got different modes you can set them to based on what you're going to be listening. The pure mode is like you're going to be listening to, to blues or instrumental music. The balance mode is for listening to more rock, heavy, uh, you know, and, and then bass mode is for hip-hop and, and reggae. And, and, you know, and then you pick the one. I don't know which one you'd put on it to listen to us. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're a little more heavy. But anyway, eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life, and they're just uh, – they're just they fit comfortably. They look great. So go to buyraycon.com slash rickbubbapod and unlock, unlock that additional 20% off your Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash rickbubbapod. We're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, our guest, Brad Edwards. Brad, let me ask you this, just talking about Coach Saban and what he has accomplished. And you you had mentioned one thing earlier that I wanted to to get back to. There's an old saying we've all heard, dance with the one that brung you and and stick to what you're good at and all that kind of thing. And there's been a lot of coaches come on the scene with a scheme or a way of doing things or an offense or a defense – and they, they they make headway with it, but after a few seasons, people catch up to it. They they learn how to scheme it. Sure. And the thing that I think really has been the the icing on the cake for Coach Saban is just what you were talking about. When the hurry up no huddle came in, um, he was struggling with that some against teams that ran that and and was objectionable uh, as to is this legal? Should we do it? Is it safe for players? Didn't win that battle. So he decided, I'm going to join the game and do it better. 
And we saw him evolve his offense from a primarily heavy run between the tackles to an all-over-the-field throwing as much as you run or more that we see now. Uh, And a lot of people are not willing to do that, and he did that and did it successfully. He did, and especially a guy with a defensive background like he has. You know, he just cut his teeth as a defensive coordinator. Guys like that, (laughs) they take it personally when their team gets scored on. Yes. And and so it it had to have been really tough to suck it up and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. It, it may mean that we're going to give up a lot more points than we used to, but at the end of the day, it's about winning games. Still got to get to W. And that, that's, that, that is what it's all about. In fact, I, I, know, I know you guys are, are big fans of Lou Holtz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I had the privilege of working with Lou for a few years at ESPN, and uh, he, he said a number of things uh, that, uh, that are memorable. But one that he used to say that I, that I will, will quote all the time, he said, to win a national championship – you don't have to be the best team in the nation every Saturday. You just have to be the best team in the stadium. And so that's all. It just I'll score more points than the that's team right. on the other side. That's and that's right. what it comes down to. Whether it's 9-6 to six or whether it's, it's 49-45, to 45, you just get the job done. And, and so that's really what it's been about for Saban. And we got all the way to the point where last year you actually heard him say, with a camera in front of him, you know, this is just kind of the way it is now. You know, you're going to give up some points and yeah. just – I think he's at peace with it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I know he still doesn't like it when he has a busted assignment and gives no. up a 70-yard touchdown pass that should never have happened. Uh, but, but at the same time, he recognizes it's just, it's just impossible to ask defenses to shut teams down, although – Georgia seems to be doing a pretty good job of it yeah. this year. Well, uh, we'll yeah. see if that holds up. Well, but, but man, but he, but just the evolution yeah. uh, of the coach that yeah, is, and, 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 and not a lot of coaches are not willing to do that. They're very. This is how I got here. This is what I know. This is what I'm going to do. For him to allow him to grow in that in that way, I think is remarkable. And, and it's not just the willingness to do it, but but one of the things. In fact, I think Georgia fans probably wish Kirby had more of that in him. I think they'd like to see everything opened up and. You know, regardless of what the quarterback situation is, you, you certainly could be a little less conservative uh, if if you're Georgia, and maybe maybe when they need to be, they will be. But um, you know, with with Saban, one of the things I think is interesting about the offense in recent years, and, and I don't want to imply that there is that there is much that is positive about having to replace your offensive coordinator almost every year, because yeah. it, you know the, the the net result of that is negative. Right. But if there's a silver lining to it, it's that you know you you have different guys who are coming in almost on an annual basis with a slightly different approach to calling plays. Meanwhile, you've got a pretty consistent turnover at quarterback, and these guys recently have all had very different skill sets. I mean, you you start with mm-hmm. you know Jake Coker to Jalen Hurts, you know, and then to Tua, Mac Jones, and now Bryce Young. They're all very different. So you combine a, a different a different approach to calling plays with a quarterback with a different skill set. And if you've been a defensive coordinator in the SEC all this time, you can never truly get a bead on what Alabama's offense is or what you expect it to do because it changes based on those factors. So uh, it, it, that, that's not by design by Saban, but I think it's worked out where some of that turnover has kind of worked to his advantage. Yeah, I, that was going to be my next question because when you have a successful program, people want your coaches. And uh, and the turnover, I don't. I mean, it's been substantial, but yet the excellence of the program has not wavered. 
and 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 there are, I've, there's been a lot of coaches that turnover was was the end of the road. Yeah, yeah. Bobby the, Bowden. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know Bobby Bowden obviously dominated that stretch where he had 14 straight years finishing in the top five. I think he actually might have been top four, and and then he simultaneously lost Mark Richt and Chuck Amato. So he lost he lost his offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and he lost his linebackers coach. Both became head coaches, and everything changed for Florida State after that. And so. Yeah, the fact that, that Saban has had to replace as many coaches as he has and the thing just keeps going without a hitch, it, it, it really is crazy. I have a page in the book where I look at all the different assistant coaches, the on-field coaches, uh, position coaches, who have a ring under Saban. And the the only guy with all six of the rings is is Nick. You know, <laughs> Burton Burns, a former running backs coach, has five of the six rings. Uh, a few people have four and then a lot of three, two mm-hmm. and one. And, and something I wasn't aware of until I did the research for this, their last two championships, 2017 and 2020, only three years apart. There was not a single coach on the 2020 staff uh, on field coach who was on the 2017 staff. Wow. And the strength and conditioning coach who I, I wasn't including in that also changed oh, yeah. from 2017 to 2020. And and for for you to have a complete turnover of your coaching staff and win a national title again three years later, you know. By the way, uh, in a pandemic, don't leave that out. That, that, yeah, that too. Yeah, please don't leave. Please, everybody wondered. Even he was able to have his program perform the best inside a pandemic. Yeah, against uh, everybody else. And, and I I thought last summer that that was going to work to his advantage. Um, in that. You know, you're you're looking at a season where you you know it's not going to be normal. It's going to be really weird in a lot of ways. Players are going to be out of their comfort zone. And I, I said on a couple of radio interviews, there's no one in the sport I would trust more to navigate that and to keep the players as focused as possible in the right direction um, than Nick Saban. And and uh, obviously he nailed it. There were a lot of coaches who failed it. Um, some did okay, but at the at the end of the day. That team was one of the most dominant in college football history. We're going to run out of time before we get to cover all of it, obviously. But And I want to talk about recruiting. But before I do that, Lane Kiffin's influence on Coach Saban. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Nick's talked about this uh, a good bit lately uh, in that, you know, he brought Nick in. Uh, sorry, Nick brought Lane in when, when he made that decision that – we're going to do what everybody else is doing. The, the rules aren't going to change, and, and so we've got to adapt. And obviously, you know, you start off with with Blake Sims, and they they spread things out. They introduced a little bit of quarterback run, which is something that you hadn't seen from Alabama. Uh, but then the next year, it's Jake Coker. All right, you're not going to do the quarterback run with Jake Coker. I mean, he, not I can far. remember not not for very long, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and and so they kind of had to adjust things there. And then the next year it's Jalen hurts completely different, uh, a lot more quarterback run. And, and so everything just kind of, just kind of changed year after year based on the personnel. And that was, that's what lane was so good at was just identifying what are his strengths? What are the defense's weaknesses? And that's, that's where we're going to figure it out. And that's where we're going to have success. And so you look at the things that he did um, it kind of got them further down that path to when they they brought in Mike Loxley and they started to put in all the RPO stuff. Yeah. And then Tua 
obviously had a lot of success. Sark comes in and Sark starts to introduce a lot of motion, which worked really well for them last year. But 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 Lane was the one uh, who really got the ball rolling. And uh, I, I have uh, a note in the book, which those three years, 2014, 15, 16, they won three straight SEC championships each season with a quarterback who had never started a college football game prior to that season. That is just and it mind-boggling. Is, it is the only time in major college football history. So you look at the current Power Five plus the the defunct major conferences. You go back to the you know Big Eight, Southwest yeah, sure. Conference, even the Big East, you know, whatever. Anyone that ever been considered major, it is the only instance where any team won three consecutive outright conference championships where every conference game that season was started by a player who had never started a game in his career before that. Dynasty by the numbers. If you ever want to know what are the numbers in this Saban era, they're all there uh, in the book by Brad Edwards. And we continue our conversation with him when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so Tommy John has has teamed up with the Rick and Bubba show. A lot of you are responding uh, because, let's face it, uh, Tommy John uh, and the men's underwear – are breathable, they're lightweight, uh, they're moisture wicking. We may not want to talk about that, but that's important. That is important, Rick, in Alabama, for sure. No doubt, with four times the stretch of competing brands. And here's what I love. They're telling you right now that if you put on some Tommy John underwear and you don't think it's the most comfortable that you have ever worn, you know what they say? Uh, they're free. They're on us. Don't even worry about it. If you don't think that, then just free. keep them. Uh, and you can get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com slash Bubba. That's TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. Get an additional 20% off because when you wear Tommy John, uh, it, it, they're so much more comfortable, you do everything better. And coming up with Christmas season coming up, you know, sometimes people say, uh, hey, I don't want, uh, don't get daddy this or whatever. Go ahead and get him some Tommy John underwear. He'll thank you for that because it's also not just going to be called the holiday season because of Tommy John, the softness season. So uh, get it done right now at TommyJohn.com. Slash Rick Bubba save twenty percent off. Brad Edwards is our guest, Bubba. The book Dynasty by the Numbers: The Era of Nick Saban. All the numbers you wish you could have. He's done the research. He's got them. He does. Uh, Brad, you know I, I've always thought college football is a lot like pizza: better ingredients, better pizza. You know, you you got to get good players. Yep. Recruiting is yep. the lifeblood. Uh, Coach Saban has been, again, remarkable at this. And I think one of the things – well, two things out of that that I'd like to get your thoughts on. He has to be one of the best that will get a five-star guy, and he's really a five-star guy because we've seen – They don't miss many times. Five-star guys who didn't end up being five-star guys. He just doesn't miss. I mean, when they come in highly touted, they play highly touted. And and the other thing that I'd I'd like to get your thoughts on is that – a lot of schools cannot get a five-star guy to sit the bench and wait on his turn. Coach Saban has done that consistently. Very few schools can do that. They'll they'll say, look, if I ain't – and now with the, the transfer uh, portal, hey, if I ain't playing, I'm going somewhere I can play. So how, how has he accomplished those things? Yeah, I mean, starting with the, the transfer portal – you know, the, the portal itself gets so much attention as if it's this brand new thing that players can transfer. <laughs> it, that's not new. Um, the, the, the thing that, that bothers Saban about this, and I'm sure bothers a lot of coaches, is the new rule that allows them to be able to transfer without penalty. Right. You know, one time you can transfer and immediately be able to play somewhere else the next season. And uh, I, I think really what you said is, is that it, it creates this opportunity 
for, I guess for lack of a better term, a mulligan. You know, if you, you feel like you're not in the place where you want to be. And look, there's certainly a lot of cases like that where it's valid. But, uh, but, but, but Saban would tell you that what, what he doesn't like is that uh, players can use that as an excuse to not put forth the effort to try to work harder and earn a spot, mm-hmm. you know, make themselves better yeah. and break in the lineup that way instead of having it given to them by going against lesser competition in order to become a starter. And, and that seems to be the path that a lot of kids take, but they don't all take. And obviously in the, in the recruiting process, you know, every coach out there is trying to recruit to what he considers his culture to be. Players whose mindset fits well with, with what they try to emphasize there. And so one of the things Saban is looking for is people who he thinks are great competitors and the ones who it's important to them to be able to succeed against the very best. And if that means that, hey, I've got to put in my time and play special teams for a year or two before I, I get a legitimate chance to, to become the starter, then so be it. And that's worked out well for a whole lot of guys uh, at Alabama. But but there still have been some that that choose to take the other the other path and there'll probably be more of them now that they can they can go and not have to sit out a year somewhere else. And I, I, most schools are going to deal with that. But of course, at the end of the day, the transfer portal is going to end up working to the advantage of Alabama and the other big-time programs because the players they're losing are not starters. They're losing guys who weren't able to get on the field mm-hmm. and want to go somewhere where they think they can. The guys that they're going to pick up out of the portal, like like this year, you know, are, are to give them depth if not a clear-cut starter at a position of need so that you know they they got the receiver Jamison Williams who came from Ohio State who was a backup there uh, was able to to break into the lineup and he's been probably Alabama's biggest threat at receiver most productive receiver up to this point and obviously a starting inside linebacker in uh, Toe Toe who came from Tennessee so um, I think that type of stuff is going to continue you know so that you know you go back though to the to the recruiting part of it and when, when I thought that the Saban dynasty was going to start to tail off is when his assistant coaches started, getting, started to get hired by other schools, especially right. in the SEC, yeah. but, but around the Southeast and other major programs. And it wasn't because I thought, okay, they're going to take this, this secret sauce that Saban has, <laughs> and they're going to use it to be able to, to, to get their teams on the same level as Alabama. I, I never assumed that they would be as good of a coach as he is. But what I thought was that, Everyone from that staff is a great recruiter. And these guys are going to go out and they're going to take enough guys over the course of the years that would have gone to Alabama. And, and, and maybe Alabama's signing class, instead of having 22 four and five stars, goes down to having 19 four and five stars. And over the course of four years, you've got 12 fewer mm-hmm. four and five stars on the roster, which might make the difference in, you know, in losing a couple of games that you would have won. And that's where I thought it was going to fall apart was because he wouldn't be able to sustain the recruiting at the same level without uh, all those assistants. And, and that hasn't been the case at all. That t- The 2017 signing class, which is almost out of Tuscaloosa. Now, there's still a few guys left that, that are on this year's team. Most of them, though, are, are, are now finished with their with their eligibility. And the the hit rate on those guys was just amazing. They had as you're probably aware, two quarterbacks in that signing class were both drafted in the first round. Yep. There were three wide receivers in that signing class who were drafted in the first round. 
two offensive tackles in that signing class were drafted in the first That's round. That's the real tale. And, tale and then the Najee real. Harris, uh, running back, he was, was drafted decent, in the first decent, round. Decent player. They're all right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I mean, so, so, he, so his recruiting has gotten stronger. And if you buy into the recruiting rating, supposedly the class that's you know out there for the first time this fall is is the best of all of them. We'll see if that ends up being the case. But but yeah, that it, in no way has the recruiting ever dropped off. So dynasty by the numbers. Two questions before we go. How do you get it? So you get it online only through my website. Uh, most. People go to Amazon. The book is not on Amazon. It, it's my website, which is BamaDynastyBook.com. Uh, if you live in Alabama, there are a few places you can find it. Uh, Alumni Hall, the, the, the store, has it uh, in Birmingham, Huntsville, and Tuscaloosa. And then on the Alabama campus, the, uh, the Soup Store and the Bryant Museum both carry it. All right, so go grab that, and this will be the last thing I'll ask you, and I know the answer, by the way. But – after you've done all this research, based on the numbers, is Nick Saban, to this point, the greatest there's ever been? No question in my mind. And uh, the subtitle of the book is Why Alabama Now Owns the Greatest Decade-Plus Run in College Football History. I worked extensively on college football's 150th anniversary for ESPN two years ago, so I know what the other great dynasties in the history of the sport have done. And you might be able to find some that over six, seven, eight years – did something you could put up against Saban's best six, seven, eight years. But when you get to 10 years or more, no one else has done this and been able to sustain it for as long as Saban has. And so uh, I, I don't know that you could come to any conclusion based on that other than that he's the greatest of all time. Brad Edwards, uh, our guest, thanks for being with us, brother. You got thanks, it. Brad. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah. yeah, listen, if you ever want to do sports in your shorts, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to all of you for joining us for this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba.